If you have Bibles with you, please open them to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, the text will be on the screen. Um, we'll be, uh, during this Advent season, we, we celebrate Christmas for a whole month, uh, we will be looking at the beginning. How, how does each gospel in the Bible begin the story of Jesus? Because Advent is all about the coming of Jesus, not just the birth of Jesus, okay? So um, let's pray before we begin. Lord, we pray that as we open your word right now, you would speak to us, that you would convict us, that you would comfort us, that we would find reason for great hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, back in 1988, the number one song, possibly in the world, definitely in America, was a very unusual number one song, and I guarantee you've all heard it at some point. It was unusual because it was a cappella. There's no instruments. It's all vocals. It's, of course, Don't Worry, Be Happy by Bobby McFerrin. Now, some of you guys are, are younger, so you don't remember how big this was. I'll, I'll just fill you in because you couldn't walk down the street without hearing this stupid thing. I'm sorry, some of you, that's your favorite song. I don't mean to insult it, but it's terrible. Um, so it was the number one song in something like 11 countries. It was in the top 10 in like 25 countries. It won Song of the Year at the Grammys. It won Record of the Year, and it won Best Male Vocal Performance at the Grammys. That's a sweep, folks. All right, one song. Have you ever, you guys all know this song, right? Yeah. Have you ever listened to the verses? I'm just going to read you the, one of the verses real quick. Ain't got no place to lay your head. Somebody came and took your bed. Don't worry. Be happy. The landlords say your rent is late. He may have to litigate. Don't worry. Be happy. That's as deep as it goes. It's just like all this bad stuff and doesn't give you a reason. Just as... Don't worry, be happy. It's almost like the, the real key to having hope and positivity in life is willful deception, total detachment from reality. Simply, yeah, there's all this bad news. Ignore it. Pretend it isn't there. Don't worry. Be happy. Now, to some extent, I think we all do this every day, because I don't know if you guys have noticed, but the news is always terrible. I'm just going to stress you all out right now. You ready? Okay. Typical week in America. Mass shootings. Those are regular. There's a fentanyl epidemic right here in Denver. Oh, there's an opioid epidemic still. That hasn't gone away. There's a despair epidemic. There was an actual pandemic that we all just lived through, and we found out, oh, that's a potential thing that could happen and could be worse than we just had. Inflation sucks, right? Uh, there's tons of worker exploitation, not only in our country, but in the world. There's massive inequality, like Gilded Age level inequality. That's stressful. Oh, active wars. We got Ukraine, which is getting worse all the time. There's still a war in Yemen, still a war in Ethiopia. Oh, yeah, did you guys know that there's more slaves on planet Earth right now than there have ever been? Yeah, rising extremism, not only in America, but throughout the world. There's a very concerning competition with China and the U.S. Those things usually don't end well. And in case you've forgotten, there is always the possibility of a planet-ending nuclear war. 
I, I didn't even mention climate change yet, okay? Feeling good. Don't worry, be happy, guys. Just pretend all that. I'm not, I haven't even gotten into the personal stuff, the stuff that, like, uh, apart from a big societal picture thing that we're all stressed about, things that could befall us. Conflicted relationships, stressed out over money, worried about the future, mental health challenges, physical health challenges. You're all aging. Yes, young people, you're aging too. A lot of us face loneliness, grief. Many of you encounter racism or sexism. Not to mention just the sort of existential stuff of finding purpose feeling despair, and that you're all going to die. So sermon over, because don't worry, be happy. <laughs> Good talk. <laughs> what if I really stopped? No, that would be so terrible. So I, I kind of had this picture in my mind, because this was a very rapid list I made of like all of the bad things that are happening or could happen. It's kind of like when you're driving on 70 and there's those avalanche zones and there's a net over it that doesn't work all that well. And you see like rocks fall through it. And so it's like just this net, just this canopy of like disaster and bad news that is waiting to happen. All right. And many of it, much of it will happen. We just don't know when. But here's the thing. This is always true. This has been true since the beginning of civilization and before. There's always bad news. It always hangs over us. And to live a life that is hopeful, that you don't just go insane and, and despair over the state of the world and what could happen, like how do you do that? Most of us just don't worry about it. We try and get through and say, well, maybe those rocks won't hit me personally, and that's as good as I can do. I won't worry. I'll be happy. Which brings me to Christmas. Why is the birth of a child worth celebrating? What are we doing? Because I noticed kind of the way that we do Christmas, there's a lot of emphasis on, well, we just decide to feel good for a few weeks out of the year. We decide to be nicer. We decide to be kinder. All good things. We throw some barnyard animals in there, some soft lighting, and all as well. But is that just another don't worry, be happy? Is that just another ignore what's actually going on in the world and decide to feel good anyway? Or is this actually an answer to the bad news? Is this actually a reason for us to live hopeful lives, not irrationally detached hopeful lives, but that we could look the bad news dead on and still say, you know what? I've got a reason to hope anyway. That's what Mark wants us to see. Look at how he starts his gospel off. Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no baby here, folks. No barnyard animals. He gets right to the point. And what is it? It is the gospel, which means good news of Jesus Christ. Now that of requires a little explanation. That's a genitive. Now, this could be a subjective genitive, which means it's the good news proclaimed by Jesus, and Jesus certainly does proclaim good news. But it could also be an objective genitive, which means that Jesus is the good news. I believe Mark means both. That the good news 
that, that will allow us to take a long, hard look at the bad news and say, I'm still going to celebrate, I'm still going to rejoice, and I'm still going to hope is that Jesus is the good news. Now, why is Jesus good news? Well, we're just going to look at the first three verses here and see what reasons there are to, see that, to believe that Jesus is the good news. First of all, we see that Jesus is the Savior. When we look at the next word, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that word, the Son of God, that word Christ, we, that is not Jesus' last name, all right? Uh, the Greek word Christos is a translation of the Hebrew word for anointed one, Messiah, which, of course, we get the English, anglified version, Messiah, all right? This is declaring in the first sentence that Jesus is the Savior. And Mark goes on to explain what Jesus is the Savior from. Because for a first century Jew, uh, for a first century Jew, they were not expect, what they were expecting the Messiah to be was like a new King David. King David came in and politically and militarily saved his nation. That's what they were wanting. You see, the the Jews at this time, they were dominated by Rome, and this was humiliating. This was a state of affairs that they're, they're like, wait, we, God is on our side. How could we be dominated by foreigners? And so for them, the Savior was gonna, not going to be a Savior from sin, but from Rome. Okay, But Mark explains to us throughout the book of Mark that Jesus is a different kind of Savior, that he saves from something much deeper and greater and more, more intractable than Rome. First of all, we're told that Jesus saves from sin. Just listen, we're not going to flip there. But in Mark 10.45, it says, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus provides salvation from sin. When he dies on the cross, he pays our debt to God. But also, we look throughout the book of Mark, and we see Jesus tangling with evil spirits, right? That is another thing that Jesus is Savior from, is the forces of evil. And lastly, of course, with the resurrection, Jesus is the Savior from death. He's not just a political Savior. He's not merely a military Savior. Instead, this Savior that comes is not just the Savior of the Jews, but the Savior of all people, and he saves from sin, evil, and death. When you are in a situation that is hopeless, what you need is a Savior. A few weeks ago, actually a couple months ago, uh, we decided, the Morgenskis decided, we're going we're gonna to go for a hike in the mountains, which is a normal occurrence. Now, we took our van... Um, and anytime we take our van outside of city limits, the engine light tends to come on. And so when it came on, we were like, no biggie. We're kind of cruising through the Boulder area. And then it starts lurching. I was like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> right? and, and, and it starts like really lurching and kind of like the engine cutting and coming back on, cutting, coming back on. I'm like, oh, I've seen this before. This is an alternator. We've got about three miles before this thing's dead. And so we kind of hobble to an auto parts store, and there we are, stranded. And I don't know if you've ever been stranded with five kids, one of them being a four-year-old at the time, 
But keeping kids happy in a parking lot, <laughs> and one of them is poor, uh, I, should, I should add happy and alive. That's a key part because, because you've got to figure out things for kids to do in a parking lot that won't get them run over by a car. And so, like, we're reaching the end of our rope, and we called out to our Savior, Sam Coho. We we're like, Sam, Sam, you're the only one who can come and save us. And so we're, Sharon and I are just, like, trying to, trying to, like, get, like, beef jerky from a store so the kids aren't hungry and, like, just keep everything cool and then figure out what to do with the van. And then Sam's car pulls in, and we say, oh, thank goodness. She'd come to save us. We were helpless on our own. We needed a savior. The first reason to hope is that Jesus is the savior. Look, every, every terrible thing that I listed has something to do with sin, evil, and death. Correct? What did Jesus come to save us from? Sin, evil, and death. Listen, if... If this Jesus thing is real, if there really was this man who lived 2,000 years ago, who actually was crucified, and he actually rose again, then our entire calculus changes. If it's not true, you know, I guess the best we can do is don't worry, be happy. Just, just try not to crack up from all the, the bad news that is out there that is happening and could happen. But if Jesus is real, and he did rise, and he did conquer evil, and he did conquer sin, and he did conquer death, then that is all the reason in the world to hope. Not by shutting our eyes to the bad news, but looking right at it and saying, guess what? Jesus came to save us from all of this. That there will be an answer greater than death. But not only that. We see here that Jesus delivers on God's promises. Jesus delivers on God's promises. Look with me at verse 2. It says, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet. Now, we're just going to look at that as it is written for a second. As it is written. What's he saying there? He's saying to first century Jews, you guys know this text from Isaiah. This is nearly 600 years back God called this shot that a savior would come, that something would happen, and here he is delivering on that promise. So there's promise, and then Jesus is the delivery of that promise. Making sense? Um, let's look back real quick at Isaiah chapter 40. Just so, because we, we read this earlier, and this is a very famous passage. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 39, a disaster is prophesied. The exile of Judah, right? The, the end of the nation of Judah. And before they ever go into exile, this is the big turning point of the book of Isaiah. Chapters 1 through 39 are judgment. Chapter 40 begins what's called the book of comfort. And it begins, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a pathway for our God. So there is a promise of this end of exile. 
This is the promise of God that when this one comes, he is going to fulfill this promise of God's comfort to his people. And, and that is what Mark is calling attention to, is that 600 years ago, this was prophesied along with a bunch of other prophecies, and that Jesus delivers on those promises. When someone delivers on promises, there's reason to hope there, because they've made further promises, right? So just hold your reaction right here. I'm a Lakers fan. Just don't at me. They weren't always this bad. They weren't always the worst team of superstars that has ever been paid $47 million a piece. Yeah. There was a time. There was a time when we were going for a three-peat. You know what that is, Nugget fans? Yeah. Oh, this could get ugly. This could get ugly. It's Christmas. A three-peat Celtics fans is when you win three championships in a row. We were going for it. 2002. And uh, the Lakers were, were in a series against the Sacramento Kings. Had a great team that year. Chris Webber, Bloody Divots, awesome team. And Things were looking really bad. It was the Western Conference Finals, and the Lakers were down two games to one. And it was the end of the game, maybe six seconds left, something like that. And they were down two points. And if you go down 3-1 in, in a series that you almost never win, especially to a team as good as the Kings were. And so they give the, the ball to our best clutch player, Kobe Bryant. Kobe drives in, misses the shot at the rim. And then Shaquille O'Neal, you know, big Shaq, gets a tip, and that doesn't go either. And so the, the center for the Kings, Lodidivets, just kind of slaps the ball. And the plan is, you, know, you slap the ball to midcourt, time expires, they win. But he slaps it right into the hands of a role player, not a star, a guy named Robert Ory. Yeah, you know. And what I love, if you watch the tape, you see Kobe Bryant, who's in the middle, like he's next to the basket, he had missed the shot, and he sees the ball get slapped out, and you kind of see the anxiety on his face, and then he sees whose hands it bounces into. And as soon as he sees Robert Ory catch the ball, you see Kobe's arms start coming up, and as soon as Robert releases the shot, he doesn't watch it go in, he, his arms are all the way up in celebration. Right? You can go back and watch this. Kobe Bryant celebrates before the shot hits. Of course, Robert Ory hits the three. They win the game. They win the series. It was amazing. Three-peat, guys. <laughs> but the reason that Kobe Bryant is celebrating before he actually sees the delivery is because he's seen Robert Ory do that. His nickname was Big Shot Bob. That's what he did, is he would hit game winners again and again and again in huge pressure clutch situations. And so Kobe didn't need to see it go in. He saw him do it before. He always delivers. He knows he's going to deliver again. The fact that Jesus delivers on God's promises is reason for us to hope. Look, in Genesis 3, there is one prophesied who would undo the work of Satan. And Jesus delivers that promise. In Deuteronomy 13, a prophet like Moses is prophesied, and we're told that Jesus fulfills that promise as well. Isaiah 53 tells us that the Messiah is going to suffer for the sin of his people which was not part of the Messianic expectation at the time, but you look back and you say, oh, that's been there all along. 
right? Like we were impressed when Babe Ruth, like, I'm going to hand it over there, right? We're talking about thousands of years in the past. These prophecies were laid out there and say, one is coming who's going to do all of this. God delivers on all of it in the person of Jesus. That's, that is worth celebrating. That is hopeful because we have further promises from God. We have a promise that death is not the end of the story. We have a promise that the world doesn't end in disaster, but redemption. And so we can say, yes, the news is terrible, but this is not the end of the story. That God is actively redeeming the world through Christ. And even though I haven't seen it happen yet, even though I haven't seen eternal life, even though I haven't seen the resurrection of the dead, I see that God has done this in the past. My arms are up and celebrating before I see the shot go. You see what I'm saying? This is a reason for hope. This is a reason for celebrating Christ. I'm not saying that it's fun when that bad news drops. We have a nuclear war. We're all weeping if we're lucky, right? I'm not looking forward to that if it happens. And we could go into theories about whether or not it will happen. I could depress you a lot further. Already super depressed. I'm not saying that I hope those things happen. I hope they don't. I hope God protects us from it. But even if they do, even if the worst happens, that is not the end of the story. That there is reason for hope because Jesus delivers God's promises. So Jesus is the Savior. He delivers on God's promises. And, and possibly one of the most important and profound parts of Christmas is we see in this text that Jesus is God with us. Jesus is God with us. Where do I see that in the text? All right. We're going to have to get slightly nerdy here. Okay. When we see uh, verses 2 and 3, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I will send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So did you get that there is a messenger who comes? Right? So first expect a messenger. What are we expecting? A messenger. Thank you. Next, who comes? Who comes after the messenger? For whom is this person a messenger? What does it say? The Lord. Right? Now, this is where we get nerdy. So this quotation of Isaiah is there, the, the Mark is quoting the Greek New Testament known as the Septuagint. You all with me so far? Okay, good. Uh, oh, sorry. I said New Testament, didn't I? It is the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint. Thank you very much. All right. So in, in the Septuagint, when they come across the divine name of God, Yahweh, they translate it with the Greek word kurios, which means Lord, and then that makes it into the English translation. Does that make sense? Okay. But if we look at the Hebrew text, which I brought along for us, there it is. Okay. I wish I had my laser pointer, but I'm going to use my pointer, this pointer. So a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare, direct, that's way, this word. That is not Adonai, the Hebrew word for Lord, right? That is Yahweh, the personal divine name of God, but it was a habit of the Jews who made that Greek translation of the Old Testament, thank you, Caleb, uh, that they would not write or say the divine name. They would, they would substitute 
the, the Adonai or Kurios. Is that making sense? So when Mark quotes Isaiah, who comes first? A messenger. Who comes after the messenger, folks? God does. And it's not, it's not El or Elohim, which is a generic uh, uh, Hebrew word for God. It's God's personal name, right? It's like um, a man. That's a generic word for any man. But if I say Nick Brown, who's sitting over there, it refers to one person, Nick Brown, who's sitting over there. It's a particular name. So that cannot be another God besides God. Does that make sense? So in the book of Mark, first comes John the Baptist, then comes then comes God. Okay, so John comes here in, in verses 4 through 8. And then in verse 9, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized. So is anybody paying attention there? You see what Mark did? It's like first the messenger comes, then Yahweh comes. The messenger comes in the person of John the Baptist. And then Yahweh comes in the person of Jesus. Um, this is a little bit of an aside here. But if you're a NPR listener like me, or you like to watch uh, specials on the Bible on National Geographic or something like that, they'll always bring out these scholars who, who like to say things in British accents, like, you know, the Bible never actually says that Jesus is God. That's a terrible British accent, but when you say it in a British accent, it's way more authoritative sounding to Americans for some reason. <laughs> but uh, even if, you, if you've heard of the book, How Jesus Became God by a guy named Bart Ehrman, who, who they, they like to roll out on, uh, on programs to, you know, sort of, as one professor I, I had said, if they want to rubbish the New Testament, identifies Jesus with Yahweh. You're all with me on this, right? You, got, you guys you hearing me? This matters. This is reason for hope. Because it means that Jesus is God with us. That God does not leave the world to its own devices, but he entered in. Sometimes the presence of someone is all the difference. My, my favorite uh, president and it's not close, is Teddy Roosevelt. Now, Teddy Roosevelt was, of course, famous as an adventurer and an athlete, and he was, you know, he would, like, run and work out every day. He was very, very hardy. But when he was young, very young, they didn't expect him to live. He had such terrible asthma. And, and he would, he would, he says, I would, I would sit bolt upright in bed, wake up out of sleep, and, and struggle for breath and panicking. And nothing, anything the doctors did would help because, because this asthma was so bad. The one thing that worked is his father, Teddy Roosevelt Sr., would come and he would, he would either take him for a ride in a carriage or he would, if it was very bad, he would just hold him and walk the halls all night. And when, when his father held him, when his father was there with him, he could breathe. He said, my father got me breath. He got me lungs. I could breathe. I could sleep when he had me in his arms. It's one of those things. There's no medical explanation there. It's just the presence of his father. His presence, the presence of his father entering and being with him. God is well aware of all of the bad news that hangs over our world and over us. He's not detached. 
He's not asleep. He entered in. He comes to us as Jesus, and he's still with us. All the bad news really is bad. I'm not trying to downplay any of that. But there's good news that is greater. It's that Jesus is the good news. And what do we need to do in response? Well, we're told we get the entire purpose statement of Mark just a few verses later. I'll read it to you. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the good news, the gospel of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What is there for us to do this Christmas? Buy gift by all means. Cook delicious food and then give it to me. All for that. Put out a manger scene. Wonderful. Carols, the whole nine. Amen. Eggnog. Nog it up. Let's not forget what Christmas is really and truly about. It's not about the fact that a baby was born, but that a Savior was born. It's that Jesus is the good news, and we need to receive him. Now, I referred to one of my least favorite songs at the beginning of the sermon. I'll, I'll tell you about one of my very favorite Christmas songs, if not my favorite. It's a song that uh, Johnny Cash cut, my favorite, favorite version of it. It's called I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And yes, you should all go listen to it, but not right now. What you may not know is, uh, is that was adapted from a poem by a guy named Henry, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And I am allowed poetry once a quarter. I'm using it now. Um, but Longfellow, uh, he wrote it in 1863. Anybody know what was happening? 1863 was the bottom of the Civil War. Right? Like, this is, this is when they were really starting to find out the casualty numbers. What happens when you mechanize warfare and then send your young men at those machines? The, the, the casualties were catastrophic. Economies were ruined. Households were grieving and torn apart. Henry Wadsworth, his own, his own uh, Longfellow, his own son, was grievously wounded just two weeks before Christmas. And on Christmas Day, he heard church bells ringing. And he heard the song being sung, saying, peace on earth. And what a jarring inconsistency of what was going on in the world, what was going on in his heart. Holds born of peace on, peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's what I'm talking about, right? It's not closing his eyes saying, don't worry, be happy. Yeah, the world's falling apart. Yeah, hundreds of thousands are dead, and many more are suffering. And let's just forget about it and have some fun during Christmas. He's saying that, yes, all of that is true, yet... The gospel is stronger than that. Yet there is reason to rejoice. Jesus is the good news. Please pray with me. God, let us be filled with this durable hope, with this hope, this light that shines brighter than all the darkness. Give us Jesus this Christmas. Let us respond to your invitation to receive the good news freely. Let the hope of the gospel fill each and every one of us and all of the celebrations that go with us. 
let us, let us remember that there is something worth celebrating, and it's the good news that is Jesus. Amen.